If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 1. Proverbs, chapter 1, we'll pick up in verse number 20. Thus far in our study of the book of Proverbs, we have learned that Proverbs is a book of wisdom. We have learned that wisdom is, in effect, the ability to make good choices. The ability, wisdom provides us with the ability to live a successful life without compromising the standard of righteousness or losing our integrity along the way. We have learned that the theological foundation of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of education and of insight. We have observed that the fear of the Lord is to live in light of God's constant oversight over our life, that he is near. Our awareness of that reality gives birth to the fear of the Lord in a healthy, biblically intended kind of way. We were introduced in last week's passage in verses 8 through 19 of Proverbs chapter 1 to the voice of temptation. The Bible said there, listen, my son, to your father's instruction. If they say, come with us, let's set an ambush and kill someone. Let's attack some innocent person just for fun. Don't go with them. Don't answer the voice of enticement. This week's passage is given largely to the cry of wisdom. The voice of wisdom is crying out, beckoning that we would heed her call. Wisdom is beginning to be used in our passage in a way that is consistent throughout the remainder of Proverbs, moving back and forth between wisdom as this concept of something that is to be possessed by the righteous, wisdom is something that we gain, and wisdom as a manifestation of the divine character. Often wisdom is used synonymously with the name of God. God is wisdom, and wisdom itself emanates from God. There are further parallels in that God invites us to himself. There is the warm and tender clarion call of the gospel whereby God welcomes us to himself through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Christ referred to himself metaphorically in Matthew 23 as a hen that desires to gather her chicks. Oh, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you unto myself. And even now, even this morning, God is beckoning. Christ is calling. Clarion call of the gospel has gone forth that we might come to him, be gathered as chicks under his protective care and through the gift of his salvation. In the same way, Wisdom is wooing and calling and crying out that we might know her as she's featured in the chapters of Proverbs. That we might benefit from the life-giving nature of wisdom in our life. There is, of course, a warning that comes with this invitation to wisdom. To heed the call of wisdom is life, but to spurn her invitation is death. And this idea is at the heart of our passage this morning. If you've found your way to Proverbs 1 and verse 20, I want to invite you to join me in standing as we read the Word of God together. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse number 20. 
The Bible says here, wisdom calls out in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. She cries out above the commotion. She speaks at the entrance of the city gates. How long, foolish ones, will you love ignorance? How long, you mockers, will you enjoy mocking? And you fools hate knowledge. If you respond to my warning, then I'll pour out my spirit on you and teach you my words. Since I called out and you refused, extended my hand and no one paid attention. Since you neglected all my counsel, did not accept my correction, I in turn will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when trouble and stress overcome you, then they will call on me, but I won't answer. They will search for me, but won't find me because they hated knowledge, didn't choose to fear the Lord, were not interested in my counsel and rejected all my correction. They will eat the fruit of their way and be glutted with their own schemes for the turning away of the inexperience will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live securely and be free from the fear of danger. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, listening closely to wisdom and directing your heart to understanding. Furthermore, if you call out to insight and lift your voice to understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up success for the upright. He is a shield for those who live with integrity so that he may guard the paths of justice and protect the way of his loyal followers. Then you'll understand righteousness, justice, and integrity, and every good path. For wisdom will enter your mind, knowledge will delight your heart, discretion will watch over you, and understanding will guard you, rescue, rescuing you from the way of evil. For the one who says perverse things, from those who abandon the right paths to walk in ways, of darkness, from those who enjoy doing evil and celebrate perversion, whose paths are crooked and whose ways are devious. It'll rescue you from a forbidden woman, from a stranger with a flattering talk who abandons the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her ways to the land of the departed spirits. None return who go to her, none reach the paths of life. So follow the way of good people. Keep the paths of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land. Those of integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous uprooted from it. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word. You may be seated. We were introduced last week, as we mentioned, to the voice of enticement. A voice that whispers in dark places. You don't give an invitation like this in the light. Come with us. Let's set an ambush and kill someone. Let's attack some innocent person just for fun. Let's rob them and fatten our pockets at their cost, at their expense. Let's take their once healthy, healthy life and throw them down into the grave. These are the kind of things whispered in the dark. But the voice of wisdom cries out above the fray. Her voice is to be heard above the commotion of the crowd. She cries out not in private places, but in the public squares. Look at verse 20. Wisdom is calling out in the street, raising her voice in the public squares, crying above the motion. She speaks 
at the entrance of the city gates. How long, foolish ones, will you love ignorance? How long will you mockers enjoy mocking and you fools hate knowledge? If you'll respond to my warning, I'll pour out my spirit on you and teach you my word. She beckons that we might receive her, that we might know her, that we might benefit from the blessing of wisdom in our life. I, 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 don't, I don't know about you, but looking ahead in the book of Proverbs, I'm anxious to get to really practical elements of the book. Like what do we do in certain areas of our life we don't usually consider as spiritual aspects of our life. But before Solomon will let us get there, he wants to ensure that we understand the incredible virtue of wisdom and its role in our life. God desires that we would know wisdom. God desires that we would know him. He's not hidden himself. The heavens are telling the glory of God. He's revealed himself in creation. He has revealed himself in his word. I get frustrated at times when people see the Bible as this mysterious, enigmatic book. God's desire in the scripture is not to conceal his character, his identity, what is right, his will. He desires to be known and has revealed himself in this way. The keen interest of God in revealing himself is evident in the sending forth of his son. God is so interested in revealing who he is that his only son would clothe himself with flesh and dwell in our midst. God desires that we would know him. God desires that we would know his character, not the least of which is his wisdom. This attribute of God's character, wisdom, is crying out that we would know wisdom, that we would know her as she's featured in our, pa in our passage. She is calling out, inviting us to her. Whether we know it or not, whether we appreciate it or not, we need her greatly. You and I need the wisdom of God at work in our life. There is this progression about this series of three questions in verse 22. How long, foolish ones, will you love ignorance? Ignorance is a rather passive experience. It's just the absence of good insight or knowledge, the absence of good information. But there's a more active role in foolishness taken in the case of the next two questions. How long will you mockers enjoy mocking and you fools hate knowledge? We move from ignorance, this passive experience of being unaware, into the territory of giving ourselves over to what runs counter to the wisdom of God. Sucked in by the wisdom of this world, we grow to spurn, to reject, even to hate the wisdom of our God. God who, by the way, always knows what is best for his people. Verses 24 and following turn away from the good news of the gospel's invitation or wisdom's invitation to the bad news. That to spurn the invitation of wisdom much as spurning the invitation of the gospel can only result in disaster. The good news of the gospel is that if we'll come to Christ in faith and repentance, we find ourselves lavished with God's grace. He has indeed made a way. But to reject that invitation is to go the way of death. Regardless of, of the nature of our impressions about the way we travel. Remember the verse from last week's message. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. 
There are ways that seem right that lead to disaster because our perception is not what we believe it to be. Our take is not always as insightful as we think it is. If you're old enough, you don't have to be very old to have had this kind of experience. You can look back on some time in your life when you felt yourself to be perfectly justified in the decision that you were making. You could not have felt better about your course of action or the direction that you went. Only now to look back and realize that regardless of how confident you felt in that decision, you could not have been more wrong. There's a warning that comes with this tender invitation to wisdom, just as there's a warning that comes with the tender invitation of the gospel, that to spurn this invitation will inevitably result in our demise. Look at verse 24. The Bible says, since I called out and you refused, extended my hand and no one paid attention, since you neglected all my counsel and didn't accept my correction, I in turn will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when trouble and stress overcome you, then they will call me, but I won't answer. They will, they will search for me, but won't find me. Because they hated knowledge, didn't choose to fear the Lord, were not interested in my counsel and rejected all my correction. They will eat the fruit of their way and be glutted with their own schemes. For the turning away of the inexperienced will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. One, one, of, the, one of the great things about living in the South is that we have all of our own sorts of proverbs, right? I love Southernisms. We have a Southern culture way of capturing the essence of the verses that we just read. We say in the South, and maybe elsewhere, but especially in the South, you have made your bed, and now you will lie in it. That is, in effect, what God has said in the verses we've just now read. You have spurned, you have rejected my counsel, you had no interest in the inside of heaven, you even hated knowledge, chose not to fear the Lord, were disinterested altogether in his correction. Therefore, in verse 31, you will eat the fruit of your way and be glutted with your own schemes. For the turning away of the inexperienced will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. You have made your bed. God says now you will lie in it. If you reject the invitation of wisdom, much as rejecting the invitation of the gospel, it can and will only result in disaster. There is, again, this gospel parallel to what's being described here of this invitation of wisdom. The call of wisdom is here similar to the call of God in the sense that Christ may have knocked on the door of a young and tender heart. But over the course of time, postponement, putting off the offer of salvation makes the Savior's overtures less frequent until finally the hope of salvation is virtually gone. There is a reason why you see a greater number of young people coming to faith in Christ than older people. There's a reason why it's an exceptional thing to see older people come to faith. Over the course of time, the constant prick of the conviction of God's Holy Spirit will be responded to in one of two ways. Either we find a way to break down our pride and yield to the work of God's Holy Spirit, or we begin to develop calluses against 
the work of God's spirit. We desensitize ourselves against the convicting power of God's Holy Spirit. We, in effect, make our bed and we will eternally lie in it should we reject God's offer of grace full and free. Chapter 2 is really about extolling the virtues, the benefits of wisdom. And you need, to, you need to know that there are benefits that come with following out after the counsel of God. The benefits that come with going God's way. And you need to know it because there are times when God's wisdom at work within this world system seems counterintuitive. There are times when God calls upon us to do something that from our point of view seems illogical. It doesn't make sense at times to do what God instructs you to do. It doesn't, it doesn't add up. I'll give you an example from ministry world. I talk to pastors on a fairly consistent basis who are afraid to plant churches and afraid to send their people because then we won't have anybody left. And that would seem, that would seem to measure up, right? Logically, if we send enough people away, there won't be anybody left here to sustain the institution, right? But in God's economy, where we're open-handed with resources and with people, the old axiom stands, you cannot outgive God. And I keep saying to them, brothers, listen, if you want your church to grow, the worst thing you can do is try to make your church grow. Give your people away and give your resources away and seek to reach the nations with the message of the gospel at the cost of life and limb if necessary. And watch what God begins to do in the hearts of your people. Do you see how illogical, how counterintuitive the wisdom of God can be? But there are certain principles that are written hard and fast in the constitution of God's economy. Things work differently according to God's economy. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And there are times when we can feel perfectly justified, right, rational, about operating according to the wisdom of this world, all the while defying the wisdom of our God. You need to know that there are real benefits that come with walking in the wisdom of God to the neglect of the wisdom of this world. Because all you can see with your eyes is what is rational, logical, reasonable, according to the calculations of this world system. But there is another world at work around us. And God has promised to honor righteousness and justice and integrity if we would but walk in his ways. So Solomon takes a chapter and the opportunity and a number of other points along the way to remind us of some of the tremendous benefits that come with walking, not in the wisdom of this world, but in the wisdom of our God. Look at verse one. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, listening closely to wisdom and directing your heart to understanding. Furthermore, if you call out to insight and lift your voice to understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. God, again, is not hiding himself. He seeks to reveal himself. He desires to be known and made known. If you will search for him, you will find him. And if you will seek wisdom, you will 
Find it. Then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. There's a verse that's very similar to this in verse 10 of this same chapter. It says, for wisdom will enter your mind and knowledge will delight your heart. When you seek wisdom, knowledge will enter your mind. Your insight will be enhanced when you seek wisdom. If you've been walking with Christ for any amount of time, you've experienced in your devotional life something of this principle. When God saved me, I tell people in jest, but this is true, this is real. I couldn't have found the book of Genesis the day God saved me. If I had sat down in a church service and the preacher said, turn to the book of Genesis, I would have looked to the table of contents to know where to turn. Every day was reading a new passage, a passage I'd never read before, experiencing a new promise, a new commandment. And from time to time, you you come across a passage you may not understand as, as thoroughly. And here's what I begin to observe. There were at times aspects of passages that I didn't completely comprehend. But there were always aspects of the passage that I did comprehend. And over the course of that day or week, the days that followed after, laboring to do what I could clearly understand that passage required of me or living in light of the promise that passage clearly made to me, God so often granted insight, opened my eyes, gave me discernment of heart to understand the complexities of the passage that had previously escaped me. There are those truths in the Bible that are laying atop the ground. And then those that must be mined at some depth. And the key to mining the Bible in the deeps is gathering and implementing those truths that are lying atop the surface of biblical ground. It's then that God opens biblical ground and grants depth of insight. It's the pursuit of wisdom that God is pleased to honor in granting additional wisdom. If you'll search for it, you'll find it in ways that by far exceed your intellectual ability. Don't discount the supernatural work of God's Holy Spirit in imparting insight as to the mind of God, the word of God, and the will of God. Nor should you discount the supernatural work of God's Spirit to enlighten and enliven that word in your heart as you labor to walk faithfully with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is... But one of the great benefits of seeking the wisdom of God. Verse 6. The Bible says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up success for the upright. He's a shield for those who live with integrity. So that he may guard the paths of justice and protect the way of his loyal followers. That's just a way of saying that when God has called you to do something that seems counterintuitive according to the system of this world, he is often pleased to honor faithfulness in order to buttress or to strengthen our confidence in the goodness of his, of his wisdom. Verse 9, then you will understand righteousness, justice, and integrity, every good path. If you want to know about righteousness, justice, and integrity... Seek the wisdom of God. Defining these terms, righteousness, justice, and integrity, seems simple enough. You might suppose that there is consensus with regards to righteousness, justice, and integrity. But if you have supposed such, you have miscalculated. 
Every time some Christian research firm publishes a new study, a stati statistical analysis of where so-called American evangelicals stand on a host of issues, I grow more and more convinced that there is very little understanding of what righteousness, justice, or integrity actually look like in the Western world, even among those who might identify themselves by study as a part of evangelicalism, whatever in the world that's supposed to mean. I'm not talking about confusion with regards to secondary or obscure gray area issues. I mean, on overt biblical ethical issues, there is grave misunderstanding. Issues like abortion and homosexuality and marriage and divorce, and men's and women's roles, gender roles and gender confusion, all of these major issues that are floating about in our culture. You would think there could be consensus among people driven by the book as to what is right or wrong with regards to these issues. But in thinking so, you would be wrong. We are not, we are not creating for ourselves this self-styled system of ethics. We are not independent arbiters as to what is righteous, what is just, or what the marks of integrity are to look like. God has spoken. Indeed, he is. And by virtue of his very existence, the nature of righteousness, justice, and integrity has been established. He is holy, holy, holy. This is the very definition of righteousness. He is just bearing so seriously with sin that he would not overlook, dismiss, or disregard our sin but would have the full penalty of our sin to be paid by his son Jesus on the cross who drank the bitter cup of God's wrath against every sin in order that you and I might enjoy the gift of his salvation. This is the essence of justice. We need look no further than the earthly life and ministry of Jesus who said, let your yes be yes and your no be no who said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, to see a model of what true integrity really looks like. If you'll seek the wisdom of God, not only do you find good handles or definitions for these terms, but the living out, the application, a full, full range of explanation as to what these virtues require of us. Verse 11, the Bible says, discretion will watch over you. And understanding will guard you. This is about discernment, right? Most of our life is not lived in the black and white of absolute certainty, book, chapter, and verse supported. Most of our life is lived in that gray area that exists in between. We say this as pastors. We have this conversation often. The challenge in ministry is not to choose the good thing over the bad thing. Those decisions are, quite frankly, very, very easy to make. The challenge in life and in ministry is to choose the better thing over the good and the best thing even over the better. Most of our life and most of the most consequential decisions that we will make 
are not book, chapter, and verse principles out here in the black and white. They are the gray area issues where we take the precepts of the scripture and apply them broadly in order to make the most discerning decision that we can make for the glory of our God and our well-being, walking in the pursuit of success without compromising our integrity along the way. This is the kind of discernment that God promises to give us as we pursue wisdom. This is where the hard choices are, and that's the kind of wisdom that God promises to give as we pursue him in the pursuit of wisdom, that he would mark our path and lead us along the way. Probably all experienced some point in time in your life where you, you made a decision, maybe in the beginning there was this sort of gnawing feeling, I shouldn't do this, this is probably not going to turn out okay, but maybe it'll be all right, let's just do it, and then here we go. And then you get weeks or months down the road and you realize that that uneasiness was there for a reason. In the moment, usually because you were busy or lazy, just didn't want to deal with it. You just allowed something to unfold that has proven to fester over time and created great consternation for you. God promises to give us a discernment to mitigate those experiences, to avoid those experiences altogether, that in that gray area that exists between the black and the white, that we might be discerning, making God-honoring decisions that serve the well-being of his subjects as well. This discernment in verse 12 is said to serve the purpose of rescuing us from the way of evil from the one who says perverse things, from those who abandon the right paths, to walk in ways of darkness, from those who enjoy evil and celebrate perversion, whose paths are crooked and whose ways are devious. That kind of discernment can help you prevent being bonded together with someone in relationship in such a way that you are beset by that relationship. Paul warns the Corinthian church, we narrow this verse to boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife relationships, but the scope of its application is much broader. He says, believers should not be coupled together with unbelievers. He says in the buildup to that verse, you are bound by your affection. Corinthians, you are bound by your affection. You shouldn't be joined together with unbelievers. In other words, you're struggling to see things as they are because of your affection for someone who is walking in the dark while you're supposed to be walking in the light. How many moms and dads have you watched defect, pull away from the church, pull away from the faith, pull away from the principles they had always held to with regards to some ethical issue because their child or their children elected to go a certain direction. It's the binding of themselves to those who walk, walk in darkness that has this gravitational pull. We want to affirm those. We bear great affection for the discernment that God's wisdom gives us, helps us to guard against such an experience gets more specific in verse 16. This kind of discernment will rescue you from a forbidden woman, from a stranger with her flattering talk who abandons the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her ways to the land of the departed spirits. None return who go to her, none reach the paths of life. If I had my boys gathered here this morning in a private setting, I would say to them, this is the kind of woman that you are not looking to spend the rest of your life with. We have this conversation often. Number one, the most pressing 
prayer concern that I have for my boys at this juncture of our life is that God would provide for them godly women who seek to walk with Jesus and who encourage them to walk with Jesus. If you're raising girls, this passage is a good jumping off point to gather them together and say, girls, this is the kind of man you don't want to spend the rest of your life with. He is a low down dog and the characteristic traits that you're observing in him are indicative of that. She is a crazy person, and what you are experiencing is indicative of her insanity. Are you sure you want to spend the next 60 years of her life with his or her craziness as a part of your everyday experience? When I pray for you, the families of our church, your children and your grandchildren, this is, this is among the top two concerns that I have in praying for the children and the grandchildren of our church. Second of one, salvation experience, the most consequential decision that you will make in life is the decision you make with regards to your spouse. And it's not a book, chapter, verse issue, right? It's not out here in the black. It's not over here in the white. It's in this great big gray area where all of these consequential decisions are being made. If you're walking in, under the influence or the wisdom of, of an excessive hormonal experience, you will likely not make good decisions. If you're walking according to the wisdom, the reason, the rationale of, of this world and its system, you will likely not make a good decision. But if you will walk according to the principles and the precepts of God's word, though it may seem at times counterintuitive, you will far more often than not, led by the Spirit of God, make a good, godly decision that honors our Lord and serves your personal benefit. Verses 20 and following bring a close to this initial listing of wisdom's benefit. The Bible says, so follow the way of good people. Keep the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land. Those of integrity will remain in it. The wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous uprooted from it. This whole concept of land goes back to the covenant that God makes between himself and Israel. God met with Moses at Mount Sinai and established this covenant between himself and the people of Israel. And part of that covenant was a land that flowed with milk and honey. It was the promised land. God said, if you obey me, I will bless you. And if you disobey, I will curse you. And, and, and the severe, the, the worst of the curses was that you'll be exiled from, you'll be taken out of this land. You'll be removed from the land. And so anytime you see the language of land come up in a passage, the covenant is in, in the background of that particular passage. Here, verse 21 says, the upright will inhabit the land and those of integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous uprooted from it. In other words... If you, Israel, are to benefit from the full benefits of the covenant that God has established with you as a nation, you must pursue wisdom. You must walk in wisdom. What do we do with that from a New Testament perspective? In 1 John, John is writing to a church that, that is in the light, have been saved by grace through faith, but there are, as is always the case, the influences of darkness. And in certain instances, they have been beset in their faith. They have been robbed of the full measure of joy God intends for them in the gospel by these ungodly influences. 
And John says as a purpose statement in verse 4 of chapter 1, I have written these things. I have written this corrective order for the church in order that your joy might be made full. In other words, I'm writing this corrective order so that you don't cut yourself off from receiving the full benefit of the new covenant promises of God for us through Jesus Christ. I'm not suggesting to you in some way the gift of salvation is removed, withdrawn, or broken at any point along the way. But if you think that as a believer, you have been insulated against the consequences of walking in foolishness, you are deceiving yourself. There's a fullness of benefit, a fullness of joy, a fullness of blessedness, a fullness of insight, fullness of integrity and of righteousness, and even success that comes with walking in wisdom, even in this new covenant kind of way. I have little doubt this morning that there are at least a few among us who have yet to heed the invitation of wisdom, who have yet to heed the invitation of the gospel. You may be seated in a church service, but this morning your heart is far from God. My plea to you this morning is that you would see him as he is, that you would regard Jesus as of infinitely greater value than anything this world could ever offer or hope to afford. That you would break with the things of this world to know Christ in his fullness. And I know that in a gathering like this, there are Christian folk who are dabbling in sin, having rationalized their decisions, feeling justified in a thing that they've done and having convinced themselves that they are insulated in some way against the consequences of their foolish decisions. And I pray that you would hear and heed the voice of Lady Wisdom as she calls out. Coming out of foolishness and into the wisdom of God, that you would be the beneficiary of the full benefit, the fullness of joy, and the fullness of blessedness that comes with this new covenant relationship we have with the God of heaven through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you, God, that you are trustworthy and faithful. We have counselors in our experience here, God, parents and grandparents, elder statesmen who have a platform to speak into our life and encourage us in various ways. But you, God, are a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You will never leave us nor forsake us. And as the judge of all the earth, you always do what is right. Your insight, your counsel, your wisdom is impeccable. God, I pray that you would create in the hearts of those here a teachable spirit, one that would come away from the egotism of this world system, humbly submit itself to the lordship of Jesus in our life over all things. God, I pray that you would stir among us in that way, that you would save and you would sanctify. May the voice of Lady Wisdom, may the call of the gospel go forth by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.